Good morning. morning. Jim Shoopy's my name. Think of a shoe, shoe pee. All right, I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. area and uh, began attending the Washington Bible College in 1959. That's before the war. Ancient history, probably for most of you. And um, attended Capital Bible Seminary. And I traveled in a quartet with a young man by the name of Charles B. Hanshu. In fact, Charles Hanshu and I were roommates for a while, and we went through college and seminary together, seven years together. And uh, then I started teaching at the Bible College, got married to a young lady named Martha. Would you like to stand, love? She always doesn't like it. <laughs> And God gave us six children. I taught for 23 years at the Washington Bible College and then uh, seven years at uh, Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and uh, 16 years at uh, Belcroft Bible Church in Bowie, Maryland. And we retired uh, at the end of June. So we have been attending Fellowship Bible Church for July and August. We are two months in. I told Pastor Van that we really are in here now because we got our pictures in the directory. (laughs) So whether we become members or not, you know, that doesn't matter. We're in the directory. We are still looking for a house. We have some very faithful real estate agents who have shown us houses for a year and a half sitting over there. It's good to see you, Brad and Kathy. Wow. And... uh, So we're still praying and looking. At the moment, we're looking for property, trying to talk uh, Tom Sandusky into building us something. But we're not sure exactly, so we're commuting from Bowie. We haven't sold our house yet in Bowie. If you want to pray, pray that we sell a house in a market that I think is starting to turn around, but it hasn't turned around yet on our street. So it's great to be here. It's great to be with you. It's a real privilege to, to speak to you from God's Word. You know, today is called Labor Sunday. Labor Sunday. Labor Day is a federal holiday observed on the first Monday of September. What do you suppose is supposed to happen on Labor Day? Why was this day given to labor? Well, according to the government, you are supposed to have a street parade to show the public the strength and abilities of the labor organizations, followed by a festival for workers and their families. That's its purpose. So the first day it was celebrated was 130 years ago, 1882, September the 5th. So what's happened over the years is that Labor Day has become the symbolic end of summer and the beginning of the football season. Everybody watch Clemson and Auburn last night. So should we talk about labor today or should we talk about football? I thought so. So we have chosen labor. As you notice in the title there, 
Last week, Pastor Mark said, So, what have you scheduled for your spiritual life this fall? I'd like to help you answer that question today. I'd like to challenge you to labor, to read your Bible regularly and systematically, to schedule this fall a daily time to read and study your Bible, and to read the Bible to your children with the hope of encouraging them to read it and to study it. We're talking about the labor of feeding ourselves from the Word of God. Why read the Bible? Let me call an Old Testament prophet to the witness stand. Here's what he said. I'm reading Jeremiah 15, 16. It says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Here's my proposition. If you are not daily finding heartfelt joy and delight in God's words, you're starving yourself spiritually. If you're not daily finding heartfelt joy and delight in God's words, you're starving yourself spiritually. Let me point out in this verse three nourishing events that took place in Jeremiah's life. Number one, your words were found. Your words were found. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Your words were found. My guess is that your first question will be, what do you mean found? I didn't know they were lost. Found? Found? I got God's words right here. Here's God's word. Your words were found? Well, the reason he says your words were found is because the word, God's word is not necessarily out there on the surface for everybody to pick it up. It's not like a magazine in a newspaper stand with everything right there. God's word takes a little bit of effort to find it, to discover it. Here's Proverbs 2. Proverbs chapter 2 says this. I'm reading verses 1 to 6. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then... You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What's happening here? Somebody's working. It's Labor Day. It's a Labor Day testimony. The writer says, here's how you come to understand God. Verse, five, verse, seven, verse 5 says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. When? Then. And preceding that, it's a process of receiving my words. He's got eight descriptors here. Receiving my words, treasuring up my commandments, 
making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, calling out for insight. That means they're getting a little more serious. Raising your voice for understanding, seeking it like people seek for silver, and seeking it like people search for hid treasures. Then. When? Then. So, when you pick up a book at uh, Barnes & Noble that says, In-Depth Bible Study in 30 Seconds. You know they're trying to sell you something. That's not true. The real question is, the real question that Proverbs is asking is, how badly do you want it? How much do you really want to understand God? How much do you really want to know what he says? Seriously enough to give up a little TV? Seriously enough to give up a video game? little computer time? The issue today is not what you know, but what you want. It's not really how cool you are, it's how passionate you are. You know, you affect your relationship with God just by what you want. It's not just by what you do, it's by what you want. Here's James 4.4. James 4.4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. How do you make yourself an enemy of God? By wishing to be a friend of the world. It's what you want. Do you really want to understand God? Do you really want to understand his word? I think that finding God's words, your words were found. Finding God's words depends on what you want. You simply have to give up some other things because finding God's words is more important. We live in a day and a generation where people don't find God's words very important. They just aren't important. Jay Leno went through his audience one night on his show asking what they knew about the Bible. One of his questions was, name one of the Ten Commandments. The only thing they came up with was, God helps those who help themselves. He said, name one of the apostles. No one could. Finally, he said, name the Beatles. Without hesitation, the answer came, George, Paul, John, Ringo. What's Leno doing? He's not really attacking the Bible. He's revealing the state of our society. We enjoy a country that is based on Judeo-Christian truth, which which comes from the Bible. And yet the evidence in an increasing number of surveys is that we see little value in our foundations at least not enough to value spending a little time reading the Bible. You may laugh at Jay and what he's doing and say, well, there just weren't really any Christians in that audience. You know, Christians don't attend Leno's stuff and they don't watch him on TV. 
But George Barna conducted a survey of evangelical Christians which showed that in a typical week, 22% of them do not read their Bible at all. Another 30% read it only casually once or twice a week. So we're talking about 50% of Christians who don't have much contact with their Bible. Does that include you? How much time have you spent in God's Word this past week? Barna listed some of the common reasons given for ignoring Bibles. People say regular Bible reading is hard to maintain. Their schedules are busy. Lack of good reading, a good reading plan hinders them. Others say Bible study is boring. It's not related, life-related. So the tendency instead is to read books that tell us what the Bible says, tell us how to apply it in our lives. As a result, we have a generation of Christians who say they believe the Bible, but don't really spend much time with it and are sort of biblically illiterate. In other words, it's too much labor, too much like labor. And worse than that, they don't have the incentive to make the Bible a daily study guide in their lives. They don't have the skills to read it, to interpret, to, to apply it. And the danger is they pass it on to their kids and their kids and their grandkids. So here's where it starts. It starts by reading God's words with the goal of finding out what they say so you can obey it. Your words were found. Uh, I am quite encouraged in two months here at FPC that this does not necessarily describe people at this church. You know, one of the reasons you come to a church like this is to find God's word. You want to hear Pastor Van, you know, Talk about words. That's a good sign. I understand there's some teenagers back there. I think that's the teenage section. The second, second service, I think that's the teenage section. And uh, some of you teenagers who are working on uh, Ephesians uh, for the quiz team, I just think that is absolutely outstanding. Um, I'm teaching a Sunday school class, I think, starting... The week after next, if I've got the numbers right, on Ephesians. So I'm concentrating on Ephesians this fall, as well as portions of Isaiah, as well as Matthew. But I would challenge you to set a program of reading God's Word this fall. I'll come back to that in a minute. Let me talk about the second event. First event, your words are found. Second event, I ate them. I ate them. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was unto me, became to me. What this suggests is that God's words do not automatically become nourishing. There's a piece of high-quality beef that someone has found, sliced up, prepared, cooked. It's sitting there. How does it become nourishing? You have to eat it. Food has value only when eaten. Now, I understand you can put onions on the bottom of your feet when you have a cold, and they have value, okay? Some lady told me that. Uh, But generally, food only has value when it's eaten. 
And food usually has at least two values. There is taste and there is nourishment. You never know what something tastes like from the description. For example, would you eat something that has theobramine and phenethylamine in it? What if it also was relatively high in fat and sugar? Would you eat such a thing? You know, theobramine and uh, phenethylamine can change your mood. Now, I could say to you, even though it has theobramine in it and so on, it's, it tastes good. But how do you know? Well, here is the item I have in mind. <clears throat> um, Excuse me, upside down. You wouldn't recognize it upside down. <laughs> that is uh, Hershey's uh, special dark chocolate. And this is cookies and cream, Hershey's cookies and cream. How many of you have not had Hershey's cookies and cream? All right. How many of you have had Hershey's cookies? Oh, okay. So we've got 40% of this audience. <clears throat> I was going to give you a personal demonstration <laughs> of what Hershey's cookies and cream tastes like. Now, I actually had in mind that I would break this off and offer it to people in this church, you know? But my wife was against that. She said, you touch it and you hand it to somebody, and these West Virginia people aren't going to receive it <laughs> because... Because, you know, it's not sanitary. So I'm sorry. <laughs> have you had this, Brad? Yes, sir. You have? Kathy, have you had it? Okay, I'm just slow. I'm way behind. Tastes kind of... I don't taste cookies and cream. I taste something else. You get my point? My point is you don't really know what God is like until you really yourself taste. There's a verse in Psalm. 34, verse 8, that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The word oh there is a call, is a cry. It's the psalmist saying, Would you get a taste? Would you just taste and see how good he is? You can have people like me saying, You know, it's good. But you don't know how good it is until you taste it. You know, how good is God? How good is God? Is he the greatest person in the universe? Or is he not? Is he the one that we really could spend our entire lives focusing on and worshiping? Or is he not? Is he not as good as TV? 
Not as good as a video game. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And how do you taste? Blessed is the man who trusts in him. So food has value only when eaten. Secondly, under that, I want you to notice that eating is chewing. Eating is chewing. Think about the process of eating. We chew, we swallow. We chew, we swallow. Can you eat without chewing? Perhaps we ought to ask somebody without teeth. Can you eat without chewing? It's pretty hard. And yet, chewing and swallowing is a very complex process. We are told that more than than 40 pairs of muscles, along with many nerves, work to move the food from the mouth to the stomach. That's a picture of getting God's word into your life. It's eating and swallowing, eating and swallowing, reading, thinking, reading, processing, reading, saying, hey, I should pray about that. It's that process of reading, studying, thinking. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Notice it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. From your mouth. Keep it in your mouth. Sounds like eating to me. That means, probably, talk it out loud, say it to others. That means probably talk it to yourself, say it to yourself. That means probably memorize it, go over it, keep it in your mouth. Then it says meditate on it day and night. And in this process of Chewing and swallowing God's word, you will enjoy success. You will be prosperous. It comes from processing God's word. So I find that we have to eat to eat. We have to eat to eat. If eating is a complicated process of chewing and swallowing using 40 pairs of muscles, you've got to maintain that. You've got to keep eating in order to know how to eat. As you get weaker, there's a danger of losing your ability to process food. You can actually forget how to swallow. My father was on a respirator for several months. And when he got off, he could not swallow. Didn't know how to use those muscles. I don't know that any of us really know how to use those muscles, but somehow it works. But to keep that ability, you have to keep eating. The same is true with God's word. Lack of practice, you lose the habit. Reacquiring that habit sometimes takes work. Sometimes it's labor. It's reading, meditating, chewing. One of the men who made Johns Hopkins Hospital one of the most important medical centers in the world was a professor of gynecology. His name was Dr. Howard Kelly. Howard Kelly. 
Howard Kelly was also a Bible reader and a Bible student. And he said this. This was his method. I'm quoting. I rise regularly at 6 in the morning and after dressing give all the time until our 8 o'clock breakfast to the study of the Word. I find time for brief studies throughout the day and again in the evening I make it a general rule to touch nothing but the Bible after the evening meal. So he's reading and studying his Bible when he gets up until 8 and then he's doing it after the evening meal until he goes to bed. So it sounds like He's not really doing much else, right? Well, not only was Kelly world-renowned as a professor, but he found time somehow to write 20 volumes on medical subjects and 500 scientific articles. And he basically spent his day reading God's Word, processing God's Word. I think that's what God wants to do with every single one of us. He wants to bless us and make us prosperous as we focus on his words. We live in an absolutely amazing time. We live in an unprecedented day of opportunity in terms of Bible reading. I received recently the fall catalog of Christian book distributors. I don't know if you've seen the fall catalog. This is the fall Bible catalog of Christian, from Christian book distributors. 68 pages packed with Bibles that you can buy. Bibles that you can buy. There are Bibles for everyone and everything. Let me take teen Bibles just for an example. Here are the teen Bibles that you can buy. There's the New New Living Translation Teen Life Application Study Bible, the NIV Solid Rock Faith Bible Study for Teens, the NLT Live Bible, the NIV Great Rescue Bible, the NIV True Images, the Bible for Teen Girls, which you can get in bubblegum, chocolate, or chocolate paisley, There's the NIV Teen Study Bible, the NIV Quest Study Bible for Teens, the NIV Youth Quest Study Bible, the NIV Revolution, the Bible for Teen Guys. There's the NLT Metal Bible for Teens. Have you seen that one? It's advertised as stylish, rugged, and metal metal enclosed with magnetic closure. There's the NKJV Extreme Teen Study Bible, the NCV Revolved Devotional Bible, The Way, the NLT, skip that, the Message Remax 2.0, the Story of God NIV Student Edition, the CEV Youth Bible, the Global Edition, the NCSB I Stand One Minute Bible for Students, One Minute Bible for Students, the NIV Our Heritage and Faith Bible for African American Teens, the NIV Revolution Bible, the NIV Thinline Bible for Teens, there's the NKJV Impact Student Leadership Bible, the NKJV Take Action Bible, Teen Edition, the NRSV Guidebook Student Bible. Get the picture? And that's the teen section. That's four pages out of 68. You want to talk about adult study Bibles? There are 11 pages. Then there are gift and award Bibles, three pages. Pew Bibles, three pages. Economy Bibles, outreach Bibles, one-year Bibles, contemporary translations, seven pages. 
Then we have charismatic Bibles, amplified Bibles, audio Bibles, electric, electronic Bibles, compact Bibles, giant print Bibles, five pages, they're larger print, specialty Bibles, parallel Bibles. The last two pages, there are more Bibles that aren't, don't have pictures. There's the KJV Sportsman's Bible in British Tan, the Reese Chronological Bible, the Waterproof Bible with a blue wave cover, the New Woman's Devotional Bible, the Pink Bible, the, Re the Recovery Devotional Bible, the Serendipity Bible, the True Identity Bible for Women in Violet and Melon, Violet and Melon, the Women of Faith Study Bible. I didn't find one study Bible for women without faith. The, the Women Thou Art Loose, J.D. Jake's Bible. At no time in the history of the universe has anybody been so blessed with such an enormous amount and possibility of Bibles. Never in any language has, been, has there been such a spectacular array of Bibles. And yet, with all this incredible proliferation of translations and studies and varieties of, help, of helps, there is the danger that in reality, we have been hurt. Why? We're going to buy something that's going to do the processing for us. I don't really need to chew on God's word. All I have to do is consult my NBCDFO study intensive extreme Bible, and it will tell me what I says, and it will give me the one-minute edition, and I can go my way. Amen? Amen? Is this a Presbyterian church? <laughs> Do people say amen in this church? Amen. It's pretty quiet, you know, isn't it pretty quiet here? Amen. Oh, yes, I do hear one. See, there's a danger in the fact that we are so blessed that we cut out the eating and we starve ourselves. What God wants us to do is chew on this word. Chewing on this word will radically change your life. And I'll take an amen. So the point I'm making is that one of the most important things we can do this Labor Day is to schedule this fall to spend time with God and his word. More than anything else this fall, we need to be able to say, your words were found and I ate them every day. I'm very proud of my wife's brother. He retired a year ago. He's spending his time memorizing God's Word. He's memorizing the book of Hebrews. He's in chapter 9. He takes one verse a day, writes it out on the 3 by 5 card, goes for his run, memorizes it. It's great. Quickly, third event. Not only your words were found, I ate them, but thirdly, your words made me happy. Your words made me happy. Your words were found, I ate them. Your word became to me a joy and delight of my heart. The word happy is not really a very good word. Happy is really too weak. Jeremiah is talking here about joy and delight. When something delights you, that's sort of top of the scale happy. 
Jeremiah was massively changed. If you remember the story, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He was often in serious emotional pain. Just five or six verses earlier, Jeremiah makes this statement. Listen to this statement. This is Jeremiah 15.10. He says, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Here's what his life is like. And yet something has changed his heart. What is it? Your words. Your words gave me joy and delight. Has it ever struck you that God wants you to be happy? You ever had that picture of God? Is your picture of God that God wants you to live in fear, that you'll be struck by lightning at some moment, or whatever? God's intent is that his children live in joy and peace and delight. He wants to supply it. But there's an automatic process, and there's a manual process here. <clears throat> you notice it says, your words became... You see the word became in that verse? That's the automatic process. <clears throat> there are things you can do with food, and there are things you can't do with food. You can cook food, you can prepare food, you can eat food, but you can't make food nourish your body. That's an automatic process. We don't even know how that works. You know, your stomach is doing something, there are enzymes, acids, your blood's doing something, your intestines are doing something. There's an automatic process that takes place when you put the food in. You have to put the food in and the automatic process takes over. It does not take over until you put the food in. Maybe it'll start, you know, if we don't eat, then maybe the automatic process starts eating us. Whatever the flat cells are, so on. But the process only takes place when we eat. We eat and something happens. That Jeremiah said, brought joy and delight into my heart. You'll notice also that the automatic process doesn't improve what you put in. <clears throat> it takes what you put in and it processes it. It processes it as best it can, but it doesn't improve it. So if all you're eating is junk food, the automatic process processes junk food. If all you're eating is drugs, it's all it processes. So if you're living in anger and bitterness and your mind is focused on anger and bitter, bitterness, your heart is going to process anger and bitterness and develop anger and bitterness. You can do this with your kids. You know, you tell your kids uh, how many times you've been wronged and all the people against you and how evil this person is and so on. And you can develop bitter kids. 
I have a friend who's in process of doing that right now with his kids. And it makes me angry. It's unbelievable. But that's the process. There's an automatic process that takes place. But it starts when you eat. You chew. You swallow. And it works. And then you'll find that the delight comes because of the person you meet. The delight comes because of the person you meet. Why does eating bring delight to his heart? Because when you eat these words, you meet their writer. You eat to meet. You eat meat to meet. And that's the experience that completely changed Jeremiah. It's an experience that's completely out of this world because he is the greatest person in the universe. And chances are that he is not what you think, he, you've, what you've grown up to think he's like. You meet him and you will find joy and the delight of your heart. You remember how other Bible writers describe the process of meeting God? Here's, here's Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk 3.17 Though the, uh, the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit, fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, disaster. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels. High heel, high hills. On my high heels. <clears throat> Psalmist said, thy testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever. And so on. So, how do you know when your Bible reading is changing your life? When it's working, you'll find joy. You'll find delight you'll find God's presence in your life. So here's my challenge this Labor Day weekend. It's similar to the challenge Pastor Mark gave us last week. I challenge you, number one, to set up a plan to read God's Word this fall. Set up a plan to read God's Word. Choose a plan, choose a time, just like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <clears throat> Don't read when you feel like it. You won't feel like it enough. You're too busy to trust anything this important to feeling. You have to schedule it like you do all your food. You could buy a Bible. This Bible is called The Bible in 90 Days. All you do is you read 12 pages of this every day, and you've read the Bible in 90 days. I have put out, out in the, in the uh, vestibule over there a schedule. I've written up a schedule. Read the Bible in 180 days. I thought 90 was a little heavy. Read the Bible in 180 days, okay? If you take this schedule, you're a day behind already because I started it yesterday. <laughs> but this will schedule you to re read God's Word through by the end of, by February 24th. You can take the schedule out there, so on. But, but set up a plan. Commit yourself to a plan today. I would encourage you to do it. Number two, start with an easy goal and develop a habit. 
You don't have to set out to read the book of Genesis through Deuteronomy the first day. Read a chapter. Read a chapter a week. Take three or four verses a day to meditate on. You you don't want an impossible goal to start with. It's more important to read every day and get in the habit. So you look forward to it every day. Number three, begin each day by asking God to open your mind and heart and teach you. Pray the way the psalmist prayed when he said, Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. You open my eyes. You meet me as I read your words. God will answer that prayer. God will answer that prayer if you pray it. Number four, read to your children. Read to your grandchildren. Read to your great-grandchildren. Read to someone else's children. Even a verse a day, even 15 minutes a day, reading is life-changing for kids. I closed with this poem. Strickland Gilliland said, You may have tangible wealth untold, caskets of jewels and coffers of gold. Richer than I, you will never be. I had a mother who read to me. So I close by saying, have a great Labor Day. And may you, in your labor this fall, find, chew, the word of God, and enjoy his words. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of this precious word and the privilege of having this book in our hands. I just pray that you will develop in this congregation a group of people who will systematically pursue you in your word. Would you give us discipline? Would you give us commitment? And would you meet us this fall? Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.